0: Welcome to the Business Extra, I'm Mustafa Al-Rawi, the Nationals Assistant Editor-in-Chief here in Abu Dhabi. Well, this is the last episode of Business Extra for 2022, and we thought we'd run through some of the big themes of this year. The stories that kept us captivated and talking and trying to understand where we're going as we head into 2023. Before we do that, if you like this show, please do subscribe. If you're on YouTube, ring that bell. Well, as i said we're going through the big themes of 2022 and i want to start with one of the biggest stories which kind of began when russia invaded ukraine in february but really has been going on even before that as we came out of the pandemic with a sharp economic rebound that really tested supply chains and supply in general for energy and as we head into 2023 we're really facing an energy crisis in Europe and elsewhere around the world. In particular, we're going to see the effects of this harsh winter. Already, the weather is, is looking pretty bad. And during 2022 at ADIPEC, the big oil and gas exhibition and conference in Abu Dhabi, I spoke to the US energy envoy, Amos Hogstein, And he said that all the planning following Russia's invasion of Ukraine and the disruption to both gas and oil supplies to that continent and elsewhere in the world and prices rising. The planning to kind of mitigate that really depended on what winter was gonna be like. But also Amos Hochstein talked about, and, and here you'll hear him here saying it, that really the, there were lessons that had to be learned from an over-reliance on any particular supplier of energy and what to do in the future. But we can't, simply replace all the russian gas what we really want is a war to end yeah
1: what we really want is for russia to take its troops out of ukraine live and build its own economy in its own country and let ukraine build its economy in its own country i can't even believe that in the 21st century we're still talking about invasions into other countries but here we are we're going to do everything we can to support europe it's another reminder why we need to diversify our sources why we need to accelerate. But while we do that, don't replace your singular dependence on Russian gas with your singular dependence on one country for your electric vehicle batteries and for your components for your renewable energy. Learn that lesson today, because when I was trying to do it in 2011, 12 to 15, 16, it was already baked in. Cold War infrastructure was there, and the Russians were using that as the leverage. It was cheaper. I'll save you 30 cents, but look what the cost is. Look what the cost is now. Every country in Europe wishes they made a quarter, a fraction of the investment they're making now just to keep Ukraine safe in infrastructure so that they don't have to pay the price of the leverage from Moscow.
0: Well, that was Amos Hochstein talking to me at ADIPEC. We also got into the... The discussion of of what we could do beyond just straightforward energy or hydrocarbons but the energy transition itself and how we needed to proceed to ensure that it was uh, not only a sustainable future but an equitable one as well. You talked about not repeating the mistakes of the past
1: and you said repeating the mistake of the past is short-term thinking. Now part of that is also how did we get into this OPEC and other OPEC Plus and all these other things. What happens is when you have a small number of countries that are producers and you have a less diversified system. What's happening today for renewables is not to think about just today as far as money, but if I think about batteries and solar and wind, I think, okay, where is all that coming from? Who owns it? Who makes it? How is it made? A battery has things in it. It has cobalt and copper and graphite and nickel. Where is that coming from? Is it diversified? And the answer is no, it's not diversified. So we need to get together and start thinking about how do we. who's mining all this stuff? Are they mining it cleanly? Do we want a world that has clean energy that comes from dirty sources? Do I want the cobalt to be mined in a dirty mine And goes to a processing facility that's using coal. What's the point? So we need to have all of these things done around the world, not just in one place, in the United States, in Australia, in Europe, in Africa, wherever, all over the world, a diversified system so that the renewable energy future, the green energy future is not the same as a 20th century oil and gas business. Take away the geopolitics of this. Let this be developed everywhere. In the, let the competition be about who can do it the cleanest,
0: healthiest, and most cost-efficient. So beyond energy, uh, again, in sharp focus because of the, uh, the Ukraine conflict was food security and ensuring a supply of food with another major issue exasperated by the conflict, but again, coming from Um, our experience following the pandemic, which is rising prices Um, for food, uh, particularly for the Middle East, North Africa region. We wanted to see how can we ensure that supply chains were more reliable, more stable and less affected by events beyond the region. Uh, On the Business Extra, we spoke to Zada Haj, who's the CEO of Dana, but she also is an incubator for startups, particularly in the agri-tech sector. And she talked about why why that segment is so important.
2: Two years ago, After the pandemic, maybe in a, about half year, I had a, a co-founder, I had a startup, and her name was Dana Salah. She passed away in a car accident, and uh, it was shocking for me and a turning point in my life. I wanted to do something for her memory. So I approached approached uh, our mentor back then, uh, who was Shirley Shachar, and she is a uh, huge passionate about the sectors of desert tech. And she had uh, developed some program in Harvard uh, regarding promoting the desert tech sectors, which is agri-tech, food tech, renewables. And when I approached her, she told me, I have this program I developed uh, during uh, uh, one course in uh, Harvard. And I think it's a great idea if you like it. And mainly I'm uh, I'm my roots are from a farmer's family, farmer's uh, village. And uh, it's like a combination of a, if, of a passion of one of the founders. It's the roots of the other founder and it's uh, the Katie Waxberger, who's also a huge um, fan of a uh, environment of you know having positive impact so somehow it started from there as a passion as uh, one of the focuses that we wanted to start with but we understand the business potential of that that if the uh, fintech a decade ago was the buzz of the region now uh, it's absolutely after the pandemic the covid and after the war between ukraine and uh, russia it's a huge opportunity not only for uh, the the agri-tech sector, but also for the supply chain of how the food production and the food uh, uh, supply is working around the world. And since we are from the, the region, we want to promote these sectors in the region. And we can see it also in the governmental plans. The uh, how We can see the GCC, how there is a lot of plans after the pandemic to have a food security in Morocco as well, because Morocco is depending on the exporting to Europe. Since Europe is now uh, transforming into more biological, more pro-environment uh, products, it needs to have the source that is also providing these kind of products, which is the agri-tech that is more sustainable, that is more benefiting the environment and not only facing the problem, but also solving the problem of environmental crisis.
3: The decision to go and lead on female-founded startups and now your search for qualified startups to work with. Kara Swisher, a tech reporter that I really admire, has predicted that the first trillionaire will be one who comes up with a climate change solution. And so I'm wondering, looking at the founders in this region, particularly female founders, what are you looking for? What advice do you have? And what are, some, what are making some good ideas to you these days? What are you looking at?
2: Uh, it's, a, it's a great two questions, actually. Uh, the focus on uh, woman leadership, uh, as I mentioned, it started really from a friend that I lost. Uh, she's a woman. She was uh, a fighter. In, uh, for uh, her rights, for uh, uh, promote uh, herself in the ecosystem of mainly men. And uh, from there, we started like to focus also on women founders, but not only a team of women, because we believe in diversity. We believe in the power of having different backgrounds in the team, having different kind of uh, emotional intelligence, but also different uh, sides of uh, tackling the problems. And this is the success key for, first of all, for teams to have the diversity. On second hand, when we talk about women in the region, if, if we say like more or less, it's about 40% uh, of the agriculture is come from women in the fields, in the agriculture. But when we you look at the, uh, the pyramid, it's more men, up there and what we want to do is to to empower these women by facilitating the right platform for them that they can also do it they you can see a lot of women in the academic academia research and they continue in academy because it's a safe place for them but no we want also to promote that you have a safe place out there even though there is a high risk of Failure. Failure is a success in the startup's world because you learn a lot from your mistakes. You, you, you have a huge plus and advantages if you know what is not right to do and not only what is right to do. And this is like on the focusing on women. And as statistics shows, women raise less capital, use less money, make more money and profits for their startups is statistics so it's also a a very strong point to focus on what talent we are looking for for your second question is basically the talent of you know have the potential have the resilience of facing the tough times in the startup life time but not only it's the the solution itself our region needs Different kind of solutions, not the drones that will solve the very sp- sophisticated problems. No, we need smart solutions, tech solutions in agrite, in agriculture, in the in food production, in uh, irrigation, in renewable energy. That these solutions can easily scale up in the Middle East and North Africa. This is our main focus, and if I uh, want to take like a, what Shirley Shahar always say, it's a, her famous sentence: "We are looking for rainers, not unicorns, because rainers are real, and they are resilient, and they are sustainable in their way of life, and this is what we are looking for in our tech solutions in our startups."
0: Well, that was Zada Hajj talking about uh, women-led startups in the Middle East, North Africa. And, and one of the other debates uh, this year was how to support closing the gender gap uh, between women and men in the workplace. Uh, this is another uh, aspect of the experience post-COVID, which set back um, really that, that effort uh, to close the gender gap. Um, we're hoping that because it became a big topic for 2022, that as we go into 2023, uh, we can really see some progress on that front. But we spoke to Sue Duke from LinkedIn about what needs to be done in particular in the workplace to help close the gender gap between men and women.
4: It is a slight improvement, um, but uh, over 130 years from now to be a parody, we should not be in any way happy or complacent about that. And I also think it's worth remembering that whilst it is an improvement on last year's gap, we have gone backwards since before the pandemic and that is very consistent with what linkedin has been seeing as we we've been tracking these gender trends for a very long time now it's something we're hyper focused on and we have seen the same thing which is to say that when there has been big shocks like there was with the pandemic which brought big economic shocks which brought big big disruptions to the labor market it was women who took the biggest hit and if you look at the at the, at the West gender gap report, we are looking at specifically when it comes to economic opportunity and economic participation. It's 151 years, based on current trends if we extrapolate out, we're 151 years from reaching parity. So we have a lot of work to do and we got to do it fast to get that number way down, to get that gap way down and to bring equity and parity within reach much sooner than that.
0: That was Sue Duke from LinkedIn. Um, She also spoke about the difference between policy solutions and cultural solutions when it came to making men and women more equal in the workplace.
4: Look, I think when we're looking at this scale of inequity, we are looking at systemic challenges. There are systemic challenges facing women which have resulted in this systemic Uh, over a hundred years to to close this this gender gap. And we have got to think about addressing this problem systemically. And I think there's a couple of key things there. I think there are policy and practices and I think there, there are cultural changes required as well. Again, what we are trying to do with this report is really focus in on what are the policies and practices and specifically where are those inflection points where we need to address inequities emerging. There are three key areas there that uh, we think we need to start focusing on. The first is around getting more women through the ranks of those organizations so that they're getting into those leadership roles. So again, that internal mobility is absolutely crucial. We have to get organizations looking at that. And again, we've identified a specific problem at that first manager level If we don't start focusing on closing the gap there, obviously, the further you go, go, the further that problem is exacerbated. So again, globally, when we look at what's going on, we see that women are almost parity when it comes to entry level roles. But when we get to that manager level, so we're, we're starting at roughly 50%. When we get to manager level, we're down to about a third. And then by the time we get to C-suite, we're down to about a quarter. So again, we have to change those policies and practices so that we're bringing women through internally within organizations. Secondly, we have to bring, we've got to focus on hiring women from outside organizations into leadership roles. And there we see a real need to focus on hiring practices, fundamentally. So ensuring bias is removed from job descriptions, ensuring that we have a diverse panel of candidates put in front of interviewers and ensuring we have diversity in that interview panel as well. And thirdly, looking at policies that are being offered to female leaders when it comes to family benefits um, and flexibility. And that that flexibility point is the third key one I think that we have to focus on. We have seen time and time again, that that is something that is crucially, crucially important to women if they are going to be able to manage care responsibilities and professional responsibilities. And one thing we're advocating for very, very strongly is that we change that cultural mindset. When it comes to flexibility, not just when it comes to women, but when it comes to men too, and normalising flexibility in the workplace, allowing both men and women to juggle the responsibilities that they have outside of work is going to be fundamental to ensuring that they become equal within work.
0: Asset prices and trading were also big themes in 2022. Finally, it seems as if the long bull run has come to an end. But lots of investors are wondering what's next. Um, Kelsey Warner, our co-host, and I spoke to Kim Fournay, who's the CEO of Saxo Bank, a global trading platform with a lot of customers looking at, you know, how to take advantage or, or to not to mitigate some of the losses that are out there from a very volatile year, as people worried about an economic downturn and interest rates going up to mitigate uh, inflation. Well, Kelsey asked Kim Fournay why he chose to go deep into the China market. Uh, for Saxo Bank. This is what he had to say to it. I
3: want to ask you about not just looking outside of Copenhagen, but looking into China, the world's biggest investor in fintech, uh, makes up more than half of fintech investments actually globally since 2019 at least. What was the motivation to move into China? And what is it like as a Danish company to do business in China?
5: Well, first of all, we we have uh, Chile uh, uh, being a, a, a big investor in Saxo Bank, and we have a, a very 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 unique relationship with them. They're obviously from from uh, the manufacturing industry to doing cars and so forth. But having a strong partner in China is is very very important. We have uh, made uh, what we call a technology transfer into China simply because the way things work now with the great Chinese firewall and so forth, you cannot operate anything in China unless the technology is is in there. So our work into China now has been focused on what we call Saxo Fintech, which is a joint venture between uh, Geely and Saxo, where we've uh, built a technology company in uh, Chongqing, and uh, we have 150 people there, we've raised the stack. So now it's actually working very closely with uh, regulators and other players inside China uh, that could be interested in leveraging the saxo business model and the saxo technology. So it's still early days. I think it's super interesting. Of course, everyone in the world, uh, I think are, are worried about all the the geopolitical unrest that that we see and think it's something we all have have to to navigate the the best way possible. But clearly China is is very, very interesting place. Uh, their commitment to a financial reform. Uh, and and I think slowly but surely opening up markets, I, I think it's definitely there. And uh, it, it's, it's very interesting for us, but it's also relatively early days.
0: Well, another big story is also cryptocurrency. We saw their prices come down, Bitcoin, Ether and everything else in the second half of the year in particular. Also the massive failure of FTX under Sam Bankman-Fried and concerns about fraud for that uh, trading house. Um, investors were looking at cryptocurrencies because of the big returns. Of course, they're very volatile. But Kim Fournier of Saxo Bank has always been a little bit skeptical. He explained why to Kelsey.
3: I do want to ask you about the decision to offer crypto investing on your platform. I don't think you can be a fintech today and probably not offer that product. But you talk about being well-regulated, being trustworthy, um, offering stability. Is is crypto holding up its end of the bargain on that or
5: no, I think first of all we we've been extremely slow in offering crypto due to a few things. First of all, it was and it still is in the traditional shape outside kind of any regulatory scrutiny, which is unacceptable because we are we are regulated in 12 jurisdictions and we spend a lot of time and money on that. Uh, so we and and secondly, there was no uh, proper tax treatment and and you know not to mention all the pollution and and the uh, lots of criminals using it and so forth. So what we wanted to do was we wanted to launch it in a compliant manner. So when you trade cryptos with Saxo, you don't trade uh, cryptos on the, on the crypto market. You are basically trading the price movement against foreign exchange. So we, we call it CryptoFX. So you can trade uh, uh, Bitcoin, Ethereum and Litecoin against uh, uh, euros, dollars uh, and yen. And uh, that's the only thing we do. But there we ensure best execution. It's a fully compliant product. We are doing, uh, you know, KYC, uh, AML, source of funds, all of that. So, and, and no one has a, a, a cold wallet here. Uh, actually, a third of all Bitcoins have been stolen in, in these wallets. So, we are taking all these issues away. So, if you want to trade crypto, and I'd like to say if, because, again, I think it's it's a pretty wild market. I think we, when so many people want that, we are obviously also here to offer it but with all the disclaimers of, of what crypto means, but also ensure that we actually do ensure best execution. And when you trade cryptos with Saxo, so not only is it cheaper, you can also even go short and so forth, but it's actually something that that's a compliant product, which, and I think the whole crypto industry will be regulated, there's no doubt about that. Every, every regulator in Europe and US and so forth, and, and the, in, in, in Asia as well, will want blockchain and all the new thinking coming in. But of course, you cannot have a two trillion uh, dark or black market where no one controls anything. And if you as a client, there's no consumer protection, there's no financial stability, there are no rules applying there, which of course, is not long term sustainable. So we do want to adhere to what the clients want. But when we're offering it, we want to offer it, in the right way, at least in our view, where it's compliant, it's transparent, it it serves best execution, and it's a regulated product. So we've really taken kind of cryptos into a regulated environment. And that to me is, is a completely different thing. I would not advise my mother to start trading cryptos, honestly. And I think it can go badly wrong, like we've seen in many other areas. But I do believe that it's also our purpose to facilitate the products and services with the proper disclaimers to the people that that may be interested and if we can be part of the solution and creating more transparent uh, crypto market i'm I'm, ha- I'm happy to be part of it i don't think it's something people should put in their pension because i think it's it's hyper speculative and i uh, i would not be surprised i mean we've seen that already that that you know it can drop in value like that and it can also <laughs> triple or double in value very quickly as well but i think it's definitely there's a big interest at least for now uh, I think people should be super cautious trading cryptos, but but yes, we do want to offer it, but in a compliant manner.
0: Well, staying on the theme of uh, the FTX failure, uh, on Business Extra we spoke to Deepak Chopra, the wellness guru and leadership uh, expert, um, about why uh, things like the FTX failure point to actually a, a kind of failure in, in leadership itself. This is what Deepak Chopra had to say: "Some or a." another, they
6: fail. I mean, look, they get greed. Look what happened with FTX right now. I mean, it's a Bernie Madoff story in the crypto world. You know, greed and success sometimes of that magnitude, uh, you know, you fall prey to greed and then you lose your identity, you lose your your authenticity, your integrity. So that's very important. Authenticity, integrity is very important, but also a higher
0: purpose. If you're doing it just for the money, it's so boring. So going on from that, how do you succeed as a leader? Deepak Chopra has his own system, which he shared with the business extra. Actually, I
6: actually have an acronym for leaders that will help anybody. So the acronym is LEADERS, L-E-A-D-E-R-S. L stands for look and listen, create a vision, and get your team to enroll in that vision, number one. Number two, E, emotional intelligence, empathy, compassion, but also getting in touch with your own feelings, the feelings of another, and managing relationship. Most people in leadership positions ultimately unless you're a despot or whatever it's relationship that messes them up a awareness expand your awareness little people only talk about other people you know if you have a bigger vision you talk about ideas but if you're if you're untethered to any ideology then the world is your playground you don't even bother with ideas. You have a vision, you execute it. So expand your awareness, intuition, creativity, etc. That's three. D, L-E-A-D, dream it and do it. And then I help people create smart goals, S-M-A-R-T, I like acronyms. S, stretch more than you can reach. M, make everything measurable. A, make sure your team agrees with you, otherwise you're not going to get their cooperation, or keep a record and set a time limit. You'll usually achieve your goal before the time limit. So that's, as I said, do it, but dream it and do it. Otherwise, what's a dream for if you don't do it? And stretch more than you can reach. That's D. The next is empowerment. You should empower your team because each of them is unique. Let them uh, identify their strengths. You know, we have a methodology to identify anybody's strengths, and then you complement everybody's strengths. And they, they, that creates empowerment for everyone, just, not just the boss. So the next is our responsibility. You, the buck stops with you, but take responsibility for your health and well-being, because otherwise people will lose confidence in you. And the last ingredient is S, synchronicity, which is the magical element. You know, every time I talk to leaders, they say I was lucky. Or they say um, there were a lot of coincidences. If they are religious, they say God was on my side or, or it was a state of grace. But they're all talking about the same thing. It's called synchronicity because the ultimate nature of reality is it is synchronistic. Everything is synchronistic, your biology. How does a human body think thoughts, play a piano, kill germs, remove toxins, make a baby all at the same time? It's not linear. So we in science today think linearly and not contextually. um, And that's a revolution that needs to take place. Think contextually, understand relationship, and know your story. Only human beings are storytellers. And who wins in anything is the person who has the best story.
0: Well, rounding off 2022, one of the big themes was the tech sector globally, again, to do with sort of the wider issues about economic downturn, the loss of confidence in, in stock markets. But it seemed like we're coming to an end uh, when it comes to a technology cycle, and that's impacting some of the big companies around the world. Um, there were job losses at big companies like Amazon, Facebook. And we expect 2023 will be pretty tight. Mudasir Shekhar spoke to the Business Extra to mark the 10th anniversary of Kareem. But also he acknowledged that, uh, you know, that business from the beginning to even now has had to contend with some challenging uh, conditions. He spoke about what you need to do uh, when you're facing that kind of environment.
7: It's, uh, it's not easy to get into new businesses, uh, and, and frankly, we haven't gotten it right uh... Every time we have made some mistakes and we have learned from them, um, what we have tried to do as much as possible is things that are required for multiple businesses to be successful that we have learned once. Let's platformatize that capability, for example, delivery capability. This is something that we know from the ride hailing days, dispatching, working with captains, and that capability doesn't have to be built in every vertical again and again. So, that capability has been platformatized, is being used by our food business, by grocery business, by order anything, and anything that needs to deliver anything. So building these businesses is not as difficult as building them completely from scratch because we're leveraging the capability that exists uh, in the business already. And for me personally, you know, you can't be an expert in every business that you end up doing at the scale that we've become. Uh, so you end up needing to hire amazing people and make sure that they have the empowerment, they have the support, uh, and they have the autonomy to be successful. So it, it really becomes a game of uh, building the right organization that can uh, bring the right leaders up and can provide the support that's required to be successful.
0: But what do you do as a company when your whole strategy is based on growth and you're facing such conditions? Well, Murasio Shekha, CEO of uh, Kareem, explained a little bit about, about how he handled that particular aspect of the business.
7: Yeah, look, I think uh, inflation is, uh, is is hitting different countries in the Kareem footprint differently. Some are actually harder hit uh, than others. And uh, where we are being hit, we unfortunately have to raise prices to make our captains whole. Because in many cases, our captains are facing higher fuel prices, and they have to pay more for fuel, which means that they actually need to get paid more to deliver that, that service. So we've had to raise prices, and when you raise prices, affordability does come down and fewer people are able to afford your services. But uh, but when you take a step back from, from that bit, uh, Mustafa, you realize that technology in general is a more efficient way of doing things than other means of doing things. So over time, what you will see is technology will actually help us deal with inflation in general because you're actually doing the same things more efficiently through the use of technology than would have been possible before. So it is, in the very long term, and at the highest levels, a a sort of weapon against inflation. But in the short term, uh, unfortunately, we are having to pass prices along, and that is leading to some disruption in demand.
0: Well, that's been 2022 and the big themes. Thank you for being with the Business Extra for the past year. And as we head into 2023, what no doubt will be a dynamic and engaging 12-month period. Hope you join us again.